But things have been changing. <laughs> and so I'm deviating from that plan. We're going to touch on some of those elements, but we're also going to talk about some things quite pertinent to our situation, the situation that we are all in. Um, and so I'm going I'm to preach this sermon and then uh, kind of end it a little bit early and we're going to spend some time in prayer. I don't know if you're aware, but Donald Trump declared today to be a national day of prayer. Um, so no matter what you think of Donald Trump, I think we can all agree on prayer and its power and its importance and that we need to be about it. And so we're going to spend some time praying um, in the, sort of the second part of this, um, this service. And that's going to be led by uh, three of the men here, uh, Jerry Scott, Russ Wilday, and Ross Pereira. Um, and so that's, that's where we're going. But it's a crazy time. It's a crazy time that we're living in. I've certainly never experienced anything like it in my lifetime, and I, I don't know if anybody here has experienced anything like it in their lifetimes. And uh, the phrase, going viral, takes on a whole new meaning now. We really understand what that means. The media seems to make you want to be afraid. It seems that the politicians want to turn this into votes. And there's chaos, there's stories of people yanking toilet paper out of other people's arms in a grocery store. And then somebody here saw a man driving around Utica going to different grocery stores and buying up toilet paper and filling the back of his pickup truck. I imagine so he can turn around and sell it for a profit. I don't know. That's just a bizarre time that we are in. And so we see all of the ways that the world is responding. We see it happening around us. We see the grocery shelves empty in certain areas. And we have to ask, how is the Christian meant to respond in times of crisis like this? How do we respond in the face of, well, a plague? So that's one thing that we're going to try to answer today. How do we respond in the face of the plague? And then we're going to look at Christ's call to the nations. And it seems maybe like unrelated things. But we'll see, they're more tied together perhaps than we think. Why don't we pray right now over this time? We keep coming back to you, Father, that you are our rock and our refuge. And when things are chaotic, we have you to stand on and to have assurance and confidence in, knowing that we can stand firm. Though the world might fear and panic, we have peace, we have rest, we have calm. We trust in you. Lord, use this time, use your word to speak to our hearts, to overwhelm us with a sense of peace, to overwhelm us with a sense of love and care for one another. And give us your heart above all things. Give us your heart for each other and for the nations as we see these things happening around us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So why don't you right now uh, turn to Matthew 25. We're going to look at a few different passages today. Uh, so turn to Matthew chapter 25. And we'll come back to that. But human history is filled with stories of plague. And the coronavirus is relatively mild compared to juggernauts like the bubonic plague or Ebola or the Spanish flu, which have killed millions upon millions 
makes the coronavirus seem like a little thing. But in the face of those horrifying plagues of the past, as the world is running away and trembling in fear, Christians are the ones who are running into the face of danger. They sought out the sick and they cared for them. They found the dying and they loved for them. There are stories through the centuries of whatever plague they were facing at the time where Christians were contracting that plague while they were caring for the sick. And then as their bodies are failing them, they're caring for the dying around them until, they're, until they no longer could. And so from the plague of Cyprian in the third century to the Ebola outbreak in Africa in our century, Christians have been caring for the afflicted. They have been going into the face of danger. So there's the story from 2014 of this man named Stephen Roden, who is a volunteer, a volunteer with Doctors Without Borders. And he headed into Liberia as Ebola was breaking out and was wreaking havoc on the population there. And his job, he wasn't a doctor. He was just, I think he was a sanitation worker, a construction worker. He went there to collect bodies. And in an NPR interview, Rodin recalls entering a house and finding the body of a four-year-old victim whose family had abandoned her. When no one is left, he was there. And Stephen Roden is a follower of Jesus Christ. He was following Christ into that unimaginable scene. When no one else would, he went. When no one else would touch the leper, Christ stretched out his hand and said, be clean. And he touched him. Jesus healed crowds of sickness. He was not afraid. They were not a pariah to him. And so Stephen Roden was following Jesus into the, into the, in the face of a plague. Just like Christians throughout all the ages have done, running into the fires of plague, following Jesus, because they understood the words of Jesus that we find in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I said to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, 
You did it to me. So caring for the sick is loving like Jesus loved. Caring for the sick is loving Jesus. Jesus is there with the sick. Let us follow him. There's so many that have gone before us to do just that, even at the risk of their own health. And we need to ask the question, how is it possible that they walked into the face of plagues and served and loved? It's possible because we don't set our minds on what could happen to us. We set our minds on the only all-powerful, ever-living God of our souls. And it is in Him that we find peace, that we find refuge, that we find solace when all the world around us is thrown into chaos. Isaiah 26 verses 3 through 4 says, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You stay your mind on God and he is your everlasting rock. Now, I, in saying all of this, I am not advocating that we needlessly go seek risk and go look to get ourselves sick. In fact, we could be putting our loved ones at great risk by our contact with the sick. And it might be very unloving to be with the sick because of the collateral damage that we might cause. So we all need to prayerfully exercise wisdom as we see people getting sick. But what I am advocating for is that we trust in God and let his peace and let his love chase away all fear. I'm advocating that we love our neighbor even when it costs us. And I'm advocating that we live in such a way that announces to the world that Jesus Christ, the man from Nazareth, is the Son of God. So when we love each other, even at great cost to ourselves, we are declaring to the world that Jesus is the Son of God. John 17, verses 22 through 23 and 25. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. So when we love each other in sickness and in health, We are declaring that Jesus has come from the Father, that he is the Son of God. We're proclaiming it to the world with our love for one another. Turn over to Psalm chapter 67. So our love for one another, the way that we care for the sick, is announcing to the world that Jesus is the Son of God, announcing it to the world. And so we need to think about how does God... Think about the world. How does God think about the world, especially as we see the world gripped with fear and chaos? Psalm 67. Follow along with me. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. That's God's desire for the nations, that all people would know joy in him. That God shall be praised by every tongue, tribe, and nation. That every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. God wants the knowledge of him to fill the earth. Isaiah 11.9 says, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's God's desire for the world. That the knowledge of him would fill the earth. So that's not an intellectual knowledge. Like he exists. This is a knowing, a deep heart knowing. This is knowing him as a friend, knowing him like a father, like a loving father. But right now, as Jesus, we just read Jesus praying in John 17, the world does not know the father. We know the father because Jesus The Son of God has made him known to us. Look at at it again from John 17. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. We know the Father. And we know the Father because Jesus the Son has made him known to us. We rejoice in our Heavenly Father and we desire that all nations, that all peoples would also know the Father. If we've come to know the Father, do we not know joy in him? Does he not fill your heart with some measure of joy? That in the midst of this turbulent world we're in right now, we can find peace and chaos? Is that not something to rejoice in? And we have found that in our Father. Why would we not want to share that with all people? That they too might be able to rejoice in God like we can. Can stand on Him in these times of trouble. Additionally, Jesus promises... That he will continue to make the Father known. He is not finished. He is continuing to make the Father known. But he's gone. He ascended into heaven. He isn't walking the streets anymore. So how is Jesus continuing to make the Father known? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always 
to the end of the age. So Christ's work continues. He continues to make the Father known because he commissions his disciples, his followers, to go out and make the Father known. So that means that, as we've been seeing in weeks past, we make the Father known, we make the Son known in our families, in our church, in the Mohawk Valley, in New York, in the whole world, everywhere. We make the Father known. Just like Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So we're Christ's witnesses here and everywhere. And at the moment, obviously, Jesus has us all in the Mohawk Valley to be his witnesses. You are here in the Mohawk Valley to be Jesus' witnesses. You might have a job You might have other reasons for being here. The peripheral. You are here to make the name of Jesus known. The Father might be revealed. To make disciples. At any moment, though, he might call to you and ask you to follow him elsewhere. Just like he called me and my family, to move here from Pennsylvania. He might call any of us at any time to go to Italy or Liberia or Ecuador or anywhere. And when he calls, how will you answer? He doesn't, well, he will call at some point. And he might ask you to leave your family. He might ask you to leave your home. He might ask you to risk your health. But he doesn't ask you because he wants to cause you pain. He sees you. He chose you. He wants your personality, your giftings, your heart. He wants all of that so that you can make the name of the Father known, that you can make disciples anywhere that he will take you. So being a disciple of Jesus Christ is a costly thing. It's a costly endeavor. But I think all of us who have called him our Lord and our Savior, we know that Jesus is worth any cost. We have found him like a treasure and we would be willing to sell everything for him. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Paul heard that crystal clear, and so he said, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Following Jesus is costly. Jesus may ask you to follow him into some very difficult places, 
Are we willing to go? Are we willing to leave everything? What if our health is at risk? And what if your life is at risk? Are you willing to go? I hope that by the grace of God, we can all say yes. If he does come to us and says, follow me to the nations. Or follow me into the sick house. But no matter what, we know that he will say, he does say to all of us, pick up your cross and follow me. The coronavirus is scary. The way the world is responding is maybe even more scary. Following Jesus into the unknown is scary. But know that wherever he leads, he is leading us into rest and into peace. We had the same mind this morning. Because the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Wherever he leads us, that's where he leads us. And it might be terrifying on the outside and in the temporary, but surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What have we to fear? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so, we need to pray and ask God to give us a right mind when considering the world around us and a heart that's full of wisdom and fortitude and that we're ready to go where he calls us. I'd like to invite Jerry Scott now to come up and lead us in a time of prayer. And he's going to lead us to pray for uh, the people of Emmanuel, especially those who are of high risk, many of whom are not here this morning. So Jerry's going to lead us in that time. And then after him, uh, our elder Russ Wilday is going to come up and he's going to lead us in a time of prayer for uh, the state and national leadership. And then another elder, Ross Pereira, is going to come up and lead us in a time of prayer for the world. And that in the midst of all the chaos, the name of Jesus would be lifted high. And so that's where we're going this morning. And I'm going to turn it over to Jerry at this point.
We're going to be led in prayer this morning by the young and the old. I'm the old. <clears throat> I was born in 1936, and the plague that scared every parent with a little child was called infantile paralysis. Ever hear that term? Later, it <clears throat> was called polio. You may know someone who has suffered from that plague that came years and years ago. I take great comfort in the words of the psalmist in Psalm 91. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent or dwelling. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, Will you trample underfoot? Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls on me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I'm going to lead in prayer, and then I'm going to suggest that at the end of my prayer, we join our hearts in prayer with the Lord's Prayer. I prefer to call it the Disciples' Prayer, but um, I want you to note, note four things about it in the beginning. It's been divided into eight sections, and if we take the responsibility of caring for the first four points of that prayer, God will take care of the rest of it. It says, our Father, and so the first thing we are to acknowledge is that he is our Father. And we are to make his name blessed. The old <coughs> King James says, hallowed, a name. And so this is the first thing we recognize him as our Father, and we honor him for who he is. We pray that his kingdom will come and we pray that his will will be done. And I have been convinced for the largest part of my life that if we carry out those instructions from God's word, he will take us through the remainder of that prayer with answers that are like heaven, giving us daily bread, forgiving our debts, and leading us into, not into temptation, but delivering us from evil. At the end of my prayer, I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer with me. Pray with me now as we bow our heads in honoring our Lord, and <clears throat> shutting other things out of our mind as we address him in perfect confidence that he will do his will and that we will be blessed. Father, we love you. 
and we're not ashamed of that. We are here this morning because we trust you. Two churches that I know of here in New Hartford canceled their services this morning. We chose not to do that, but to trust you to guard us and to keep us and allow us the privilege of worshiping together. And we think of our family. I read through the list of members and associates in the church as I prepared for this prayer this morning. And I included the young and the old who are at the greatest risk and all those who are in between. And so we thank you for the good health and the good things you have done for us. We've prayed for our families. We've seen miraculous things done. And we, we don't stop praying. We continue to pray. We've seen replacement to knees and hips and folks doing just fine. We've seen some of our members experience an automobile accident or accident with a truck and they were spared when it could have been very, very different. You watch over us and you care for us and we thank you for that. And we have seen cancer forestalled. We believe because we prayed and committed those in our family at the church and committed them to you. And they overcame the impossible. We prayed for our expectant mothers as they brought new life into the world. And for the most part, those babies were born healthy and fine. And a little one that was born with some difficulty some problems, has already had surgery and is mending and doing well, and we thank you for that. And so as we look over the past history of the families of our church and recognize that they've faced life and death and illness and tragedy and accidents and all kinds of things, and you have blessed them and blessed us together. And we thank you and we praise you for that. And we're just simple enough in our faith to believe that you'll care for us through this plague that seems to be worldwide. We ask that you will honor your word as we honor it and make you first in our lives as we commit ourselves to thee. Join me now as we pray together the disciples' prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day. But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. I reminded the pastor this morning as he talked to me about <clears throat> this moment that I learned the Lord's Prayer at school. It wasn't church, it was in school. Things are different today, aren't they? 
Right, yeah. But God honors and keeps us and loves us and shows that every day. Thank you for praying with me. God bless you. I've been asked to lead us in prayer for our uh, local and state and national leaders. And so let's do just that. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you. Uh, Lord, you are God. You are creator. You are master. Uh, Lord, we go to you in uh, good times and in bad Lord, um, we thank you for this opportunity to lift our leaders up. Um, No matter what level, uh, we understand, Lord, that you've placed them there. And so as we pray, Lord, um, as names come to mind of uh, all levels of leadership, all the way to national and international, Lord, I pray may we set aside our our personal emotions and uh, personal misgivings for these people. Uh, understanding that you've placed them uh, in a position to to care for us, to care for uh, those people that you have uh, put under them. Lord, thank you for what you're doing um, through them. Thank you for uh, pointing them, Lord, and for giving them uh, the resources to do their jobs. Uh, and Lord, to care for the people that you've given to them. Father, it's such a paradox Uh, to understand that uh, we can pray um, that they uh, embark and um, do the best that they can uh, to take care of of this plague. Um, It's such a paradox, Lord, that you are in control of this, that you have assigned borders to the oceans, you've assigned borders to nations, you've assigned borders um, to even this. This is not outside of your control, Lord. And so uh, we pray for our leaders, God, that they may recognize um, who you are through this, uh, that, their, that their plans will be frustrated, Lord, if, if they do not bow to you and if they do not know you. And so that's what we pray first and foremost, God, is that these leaders, they come to know you, Lord. They come to know uh, your grace and your mercy that you offer so freely in your son, Jesus Christ. And God, uh, from that knowledge, I pray, and from that, you grant them salvation. Lord, in carrying forward um, in their humbling, in their humility, um, we pray, uh, may they serve the people that, uh, that you've placed under them, Lord. And may, they, may you give them great wisdom in aligning the resources to take care uh, of us, God, and uh, Lord, help us as your people um, to to throw down our misgivings and to support them the best that we can, to obey uh, lawful order and policy, uh, Lord, and to do it in such a manner that we uh, further your holy name, the name of Christ Jesus in our communities, that we may do this the best, better than anybody, um, Lord, in supporting our leadership to take care of those um, who are lost, who are sick, who are dying. Um, and we thank you for the, these opportunities to do just that.
Father, we pray against fear. We pray against uh, what the devil, what the evil one would use this as an opportunity for. Um, God, may we go from here and serve you with all of our strength and with all of our will, knowing that uh, you are Lord and that uh, by your right hand is pleasures evermore. We praise your name. Amen. I rarely have to adjust the microphone down. All right. Pray with me. Father, we lift up to you our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world um, who are sick. Lord, we pray that your spirit would sustain them, that they would suffer well. Um, Lord, that they would claim your promise, 828, Romans 828, that all things, even sickness, work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Father, I pray for healing for our brothers and sisters. I pray that you would sustain their mortal bodies. Um, God, I pray by your spirit that they would see this as an opportunity uh, to be a light in the darkness uh, so that the unbelievers around them will see their good, good works, will see their hope, will see their assurance, will see their peace, and they would glorify you, our Father in heaven. Father, save our brothers and sisters around the world from fear and from panic and from hysteria. Help them, Father, and us to adopt the mindset that Paul had, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Father, embolden Christians around the world in this time to share the gospel. And Father, I pray for unbelievers around the world. I pray, Lord, that they will see the hopelessness of their situation. That even if this pandemic turns out to be nothing, the reminder that death awaits all of us will compel them to consider soberly the claims of your word. The soul that sins, it shall die. And Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Father, I pray for people who don't know you, who are bound by the fear of death, who have been enslaved their whole lives by this fear. I pray that the gospel will go forth, that amidst the noise and the many voices, they will hear the gospel, and they will see in it their only hope of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have delivered us from fear. Father, I pray that just as this disease and the ensuing panic has swept across the world. I pray that revival will sweep across the world. I pray that a renewed interest in the gospel will sweep across the world, in every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would come and convict hearts of sin. I pray that the same fear and stigma that people are dealing with the coronavirus will happen with sin. I pray that they will see sin as exceedingly more dangerous to their spirit and to their soul than coronavirus to their body. Father, may there be conversations amongst people about how sin destroys relationships, how it destroys our lives, how it destroys our, our, our neighborhoods and our society. Father, may people come to hate sin, 
to avoid it, to avoid every appearance of evil, and want to be delivered from it. So, Father, send forth your spirit in this time. May the spirit of fear give way to the spirit of revival and the spirit of of new birth around the world. Father, glorify yourself in this time and glorify your Son in whom we have put our hope. Amen.